Well, hello, church. Are you living the good life yet? I am so glad you are here to worship with us today. Uh, my name is Ethan Magnus, and if we haven't met in person, I can't wait till we do. Literally, I feel like I can't wait. But I'm glad you're here with us today, and I'm glad we are worshiping together. One of the most important things we can do in the storms of life is stop and worship God. And so you are doing the right thing with your time today. A lot of people are asking me, what's the church do in a time like this? And, and really, the only answer I have is, we do what we always do. We just do it differently. We, we keep caring for people. Uh, we're doing the way we're doing that right now is we got over 100 people that are calling dozens of people every week to make sure that everybody in our church gets cared for and we can find out if they have any needs. We keep connecting as a church. That's what you're doing right now, and I hope you're doing that in lots of ways. I hope you'll fill out a connection card. It's so important that we know you're here. I hope you'll jump in to one of our Bible studies. I'm so proud of our Sunday school Bible study and small group leaders. Um, more than three-quarters of them have already figured out how to do a Zoom room and keep their classes meeting, and we expect that number to just rise as we get more people trained and more people on board. And of course, as a church, we keep serving and we keep worshiping. There's so many ways we can serve in this season. Uh, maybe you want to be part of our grocery team, taking groceries to people who need help with groceries, or be part of our, our Zoom team, calling people who need help setting up their internet and helping them figure out. There are lots of ways you can serve. And if you want to be serving right now, reach out to the church, and we will put your compassion into action. In fact, you might be asking, how can I help the mission of God's church move forward in this time? Well, being here and worshiping is a big way. Connecting with us, again, fill out that connection card, fcc-jc.org slash live stream for the online connection card. Uh, we do need people who will continue to give. You probably know a lot of people in this season can't give the way they usually would because they've either lost jobs or lost hours. So those of us who can continue to give, it's especially important that we do so. Take a minute, figure out how to use online giving because right now your gifts are vital to keep the mission of the church moving. And of course, you can serve. Serve your neighbors, check in on them. The ministry of phone calls is huge right now. This week, I've called a few people that I thought might be a little shut in or feeling a little lonely. I could just tell how grateful they were for my phone call. And you know people like that too. Don't just think about it. Actually pick up the phone and call somebody who might be lonely in this season. And finally, if you want to know what you can do, I would say pray. Join one of our prayer meetings. We actually have two going now at 9.15 a.m. and at 7.15 p.m. Uh, the, the host will be there at, at 9 o'clock and 7 o'clock, about 15 minutes early, so you can work out all the tech issues. Find the link on our webpage and join us in one of our digital prayer rooms. Uh, before I jump into today's message, I want to tell you about something coming up. This would have been the weekend that we did the big rollout of our Easter plans. When all the services were and where all the services were and all the exciting invite cards and things that we had ready. And right now, there are a lot of things I don't know about Easter. I don't know when we're going to worship. I don't know exactly where we're going to worship. I don't know exactly how we're going to worship. 
But I do know something really important. Several weeks ago, we thought about what our central message for Easter was going to be. And for the several weeks after Easter. And we landed on one phrase. Fear less. That's what we're talking about this Easter. How be the resurrection of Jesus Christ allows us to fear less so that we can be fearless. I am so grateful to God's providence that exactly at a time when our world needs that message, we are ready this Easter and the weeks that follow to talk about how Jesus Christ makes it possible to fear less. So would you start praying right now for our Easter services? I don't know exactly what they're going to look like, but I know that the message of the gospel is going to be crystal clear. We through the resurrection, can fear less until we're fearless. One of the weeks of that series, we're going to talk about this repeated refrain in Scripture where God says, do not be afraid because I am with you. That, That phrase shows up in Scripture again and again and again. And today I, I want to sort of give you a preview of that message. I want to talk about the biblical logic that lies behind that promise. The promise that God is with you. Because if God is with me, I can see why that would make me fear less. But some of you may be wondering, is God with me? And so today I want to let you know why I am so confident that God is with you and God loves you, and that God will be with you through this crisis and through any crisis that you will ever face. I want you to be just as confident as I am that God will be present with you in every suffering, in every crisis, until that day when God has finished fixing all of creation and everything is perfected in the new creation of God's glory. I want you to be confident that God is with you. So let me tell you why I am. Uh, The logic of the argument is made most clear in Scripture in Romans chapter 5. If you've got a Bible maybe on your phone or maybe you've got a paper Bible somewhere lying around, the words will be on the screen too. I want you to look with me carefully about the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 so that you can be certain that God is with you no matter what. Paul starts like this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, where we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Uh, Paul starts by saying that we stand now in this place of undeserved privilege right in between two miracles. We stand in between two miracles. We stand in between the first miracle, the miracle of reconciliation, that by Christ's death on a cross, he has brought us peace with God. We are now reconciled, reconnected to God. We stand between that miracle and the second miracle, 
the miracle of glory. When all of God's good work is finished and all things are made new and Christ reigns over everything and there's no more suffering or tears and no more viruses and all creation is as it was meant to be. Paul says right now we stand in between those two miracles. He goes on. And we can rejoice too. When we run into problems and trials, now, important to note, he's saying we can rejoice when we run into problems, not that we rejoice because we run into problems. Nobody's happy about problems. But he's saying even in the face of problems, we can rejoice. Why? For we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation, and this hope will not lead us to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Paul's argument here is that we can rejoice in our struggle because we know where the story ends. Our hope will not disappoint us. One of my favorite lines, I use it a lot and I've used it a lot lately, is this. We know that God's story ends in glory. So if things aren't glorious, it's not the end. And we know that our present struggles will not stop what God is trying to accomplish in your life or what God is trying to accomplish in all creation. Our present struggles will not stop God from finishing the work of bringing all things to glory. Paul continues, When we were utterly helpless, uh, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who was especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still enemies, we'll certainly be saved by the life of his son. So now we can rejoice. Now, he's saying, even now, even in the midst of our suffering, we can start the party of our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. I want you to follow Paul's logic here because this is the foundation of my confidence that God is with us now, even when we struggle. The logic is simple. And it goes like this. If God would send his son to suffer for us, if God would send his son to die for us, if God would do all that when we were lost in our sin so that we could be reconciled to God, if God would do all that when we were spiritual orphans so that we could be made part of God's family, if God would do all that when we were yet to be forgiven 
so that we could be released of all debts. If, all, if God would do all that so that you could live a life of purpose and meaning for eternity, if God would send his son and watch him die so that you could be reconciled to God, then how much more sure can we be that God will finish the work? God will finish what God has begun through the salvation of Jesus Christ and God won't be done till all of creation is made new and God will finish what God has started in you. God will lead you through this present struggle until you are with God in glory. God has invested too much in you already to let you go alone now. If God would send Christ to reconcile you back to God through Christ's own death on a cross while you were still living in rebellion, ignoring God and his love for you, how much more sure can you be that now, having been reconciled to God by the work of Jesus Christ, God will be with you through every moment until God's salvation is complete. Through every moment, even a pandemic. And this is the logic that makes me certain that God is with us, with you, right now. And God will walk with us, with you, through COVID-19 or the death of a loved one or the loss of a job or the failure of a class or the end of a relationship, whatever suffering you are facing or will face, God will walk with you. God has done so much already to save you and redeem you and reconcile and heal you and restore you. God will not give up the work now until it is complete. Kids, I know a lot of you are with us watching, okay? You know this argument because your parents use this logic on you all the time. You ask, uh, Mom, why do you care so much if I practice the piano every day? And your mom answers, If you knew how much I paid for those lessons, how much I have already invested you would know I'm not giving up till you're a virtuoso. Or, or maybe you've, you've been at Disneyland and you get tired and you ask, can we go back to the hotel? I just want to go to the pool. And your parents answer, it is 3 o'clock. We paid $200 for these tickets. We will stay here till the fireworks. And it doesn't matter how miserable you are, they have invested in that vacation and you're going to stay. Or maybe you're tired, maybe already, of eating the same leftovers two and three days in a row. And you're saying, why do we have to eat the same leftovers? Can't we just go to Chick-fil-A? And somebody answers, we bought that food. We cooked that food. We're going to see it through to the end. And that's Paul's argument. God has done so much so that you could be redeemed and rescued. Don't think for a second that God will give up on you now. God is going to see this rescue mission of your life all the way to its glorious end. The prophet Isaiah tried to explain 
this same principle to God's people when they were in a terrible time. They were trapped in exile. I mean, they were the people who believed in God and trusted in God. And they knew the stories of the Exodus and how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They knew the stories of Saul and David, how God had driven their enemies before them and established them in the land. But now they faced a crisis. Not stuck in their houses like we are, but dragged from their houses to a foreign land where they lived as sort of social prisoners. The temple, where they knew God was present, where they knew they could gather and worship God, the temple was empty. Just like this empty room. And they wondered, can we still worship while the temple is empty? Can we still worship dragged from our temple where we knew God was present and they were so eager to get back to the temple and worship together and I hope you're eager to get back into this room and worship together but they wanted to know can we still worship God if we can't get back to the temple? And maybe you wonder the same thing. If the temple is empty, how can we be sure God is with us? If we've been dragged out of our routine into a place we don't want to be, how can we be sure God is with us? Here's how Isaiah explained it to the people. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8. But you, my people, my servant, my nation whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you, and I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. Isaiah starts by reminding them of all God has already done for them. These names, Israel and Jacob, were just God's names for God's people. It's just a way of naming his people. He says, you are the people I gathered. You are the people I rescued. You are the people I redeemed. You are the people that I reconciled and called my own. I've, I've gathered you from the far corners of the earth. I picked you out. And then he says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Every time I read that verse, I think of a time um, my oldest Evan was a little boy just learning how to walk. He had just gotten his legs and was finally learning how to run. We were at a, a friend's pool party, and I hadn't quite gotten used to watching out for a running toddler. And he was trying to run around the pool to get to his something, I forget, but he cut the corner and ran across the corner of the pool and ran right into the pool. I was fully dressed, but of course didn't think for a second, jumped right in the pool, and I was a pretty decent swimmer back then. I put my hand up under Evan, I tread water and just shoved my arm up out of the water so he could start to breathe again. Betsy ran over and grabbed him out of his hand, and God says, this is my relationship with you. I picked you, I called you, I named you. You think I'm going to let something happen to you? 
No, I'm going to pick you up with my hand. He goes on, everybody who rages against you will be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing. They will surely perish. Though you search for your enemies, he's saying, you'll look around for enemies. You won't find any. Because those who wage war against you will be as nothing at all. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says, do not fear. I will help you. Kids, you know what God's talking about, don't you? I'll tell you a secret. So do your parents and your grandparents. Everybody knows what it's like to be just a little bit scared and look around and then somebody grabs their hand and says, it's okay. I got you. Just stick with me. My kids were little. We would say, give me some grip. So they would hold on tight to us and we would hold on tight to them. You give me some grip and we'll be just fine. And Isaiah says, that's what your God is doing for you here in exile. Your God is saying, you give me some grip. I will take hold of your hand. Don't worry. I do not fear. I will help you. And right now, church, in our present struggle, that is exactly what God is doing. He goes on, verse 14, do not be afraid. I <laughs> like this, you worm Jacob. This isn't a criticism. He's just saying you're a little, little critter. You could get stepped on, but don't be afraid, you worm, Jacob. Little Israel, do not fear, for I myself will help you, says the Lord, the Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. See, God does not expect you to handle this present moment on your own. God knows your weakness. I tell you, my stress level has been building all week. And I, and I tell you, some days I take it out on my wife, and some days I take it out on my kids, and i gotta, I got to realize I will not get through this on my own strength, and you won't either. But God doesn't expect you to. God says to you, little Israel, do not fear. I will help you. And then he goes on in these next two verses to make one of the most amazing promises. It's a little confusing, but it's awesome. Verse 15. See? I will make you into a threshing sledge, new and sharp with many teeth. You will thresh the mountains and crush them and reduce the hills to chaff. You will winnow them. The wind will pick them up and a gale will blow them away. What does that mean? Isn't that crazy? What is God promising there? It's one of the coolest promises in this verse, but we miss it because we don't even know what he's talking about. A, a threshing tool was what separated the good part of the grain from the bad part of the grain. Uh, the bad part of the grain was light, and as the tool would work, it would go up in the air and be blown away. And the good part would be all that was left, what would eat, what could feed the people and nourish them. And God says that God is going to do that with creation itself. He says, I'm going to build a threshing machine so big, it can thresh out the universe. And all that is bad will be blown away and forgotten. And only what is good will remain. Other biblical passages describe this as the refining fire of God, where all the impurities are lost and only the pure remains. And that is true even about our present situation. God will redeem. 
all the bad parts, the fear, the confusion, the stress, even the death, will be forgotten when God makes all things glorious. And every good part will remain. The love and the prayers and the service to one another and the moments of laughter and joy. God is going to thresh out the universe. So the bad is blown away and the good is eternally part of God's glory. He goes on. And you will rejoice in the Lord and glory in the Holy One of Israel when that threshing work is done. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst. Isaiah reminds them, in this world, we do not find what we need, but take heart, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. I will put in the desert the cedar and the acacia, the myrtle and the olive. I'll set junipers in the wasteland, the fir and the cypress together so that people may see and know, may consider and understand that the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel has created it. God said, here's how you'll know when I am done. When the desert is a garden, I'm finished. And if the desert is still a desert, I have not left your side because the work isn't done. This is God's glorious promise that what God has begun through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he will not forsake until it is completed in glory. And on the way, you do not need to fear, because God is with you. And how do I know that all these promises of God's presence are more than just a cliche? How does God want you to know that this is more than wishful thinking. Well, the same way he wanted them to know. Through the prophet Isaiah, he says, look at all that I have already done to make you my people. I have called you from all the lands. I have brought you out of slavery with a mighty hand. I have defeated your enemies before you. I have given you my presence. I have brought you into my worship. Don't imagine for a second that I will abandon you now. And today, what I want you to know is that the same logic still holds and the same truth still stands. God will never leave you and for, or forsake you. And you know this Because God has already, by the blood of Jesus Christ, accomplished your reconciliation, your forgiveness, your adoption into God's family, your friendship with God. And God, having already already done so much on your behalf, would never leave unfinished the great miracle that God wants to do in your life. What God has reconciled, Paul promises, God will never forsake until that saving work is finished in glory. How did did Paul put it? He said, therefore, 
Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Jesus paid it all. What must be accomplished has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And now, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place, this place of undeserved privilege, where we stand in between the miracles, in between the miracle of our forgiveness and reconciliation by the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the miracle of God's glory. And Paul says we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in that glory. So God is with you now. God is holding your hand. And God will stay with you till the threshing of the universe is complete and all darkness and evil and loss has been blown away and all else has been healed and forgiven and reconciled till all that's left is glory. Don't forget, friends, because God loves you, the end of all things is glorious. So look around. If things aren't glorious, well, it must not be the end. And until the end, we have nothing to fear because God is with us. His right hand upholds us. His outstretched arm grabs ours and says, I am here to help. Let us today rejoice in that strong truth from God's word. Would you pray with me? Oh God, today I am just your little child who needed to be reminded that you have already saved us through Jesus Christ. That you have already paid such a great price so that we can be reconciled to you. And that which you have reconciled you will never forsake until the work is finished and we are with you in glory. Teach us, God, in this suffering to rejoice that this suffering might produce endurance and our endurance character and our character hope. Hope in the day of our salvation. And until that day, Teach us to hold to your hand, for you, our God, are with us. We pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, the one who has already done everything that must be done so that we might be saved. And I just pray now that everyone who hears these words would put their faith in him so that they could share this same confident hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.